It's been almost five years since we touched on Twilight by Stephanie Meyer on the podcast. I know, I know. Given how much of a cultural touchstone this series was and continues to be for my generation, and given the fact that there are more books still to be covered, this is kind of shameful. But fear not, listeners, because we are back in the moody land of Forks, Washington for episode 262, this time focusing on the follow-up to Twilight, New Moon. New Moon was published in 2006 and gives one Jacob Black the chance to share Bella Swan's spotlight. When mysterious, broody, let's be honest, hot, vampire Edward Cullen disappears from Bella's life, she turns to Jake for companionship after months of depression and heartbreak. Their budding friendship is complicated by the revelation that Jacob has recently discovered his fate as a werewolf, and that, along with several other werewolves from the reservation where he lives, he's hunting the Forks area for vampires, who are the sworn enemies of the wolves. Bella's life really does take teen drama to the next level. This nearly 600-page book inspires quite a discussion on today's episode, and I can't wait for you to jump in. My guests and I cover mental health, the parallels between Twilight and Gilmore Girls, the patriarchal themes of New Moon and the Twilight series as a whole, appropriation of indigenous culture, the representation of Bella's body on the page, and Bella's disappointing lack of interests and personality. We also, of course, cover the all-important question, Team Jacob or Team Edward? There is quite a bit of conversation on this episode about eating disorders, suicide, and suicidal ideation, so please be mindful of that before you start listening. There's a lot to dig into in New Moon. I had such a good time chatting with this week's guest, and it definitely shows with all of the laughter you're about to hear in our interview. Meet Emma Noyes. Emma told her mother she wanted to be an author when she was six. She grew up in a suburb outside of Chicago and attended Harvard University, where she studied history and literature. Emma started her career at a beer company, but left because she wanted to write about mermaids and witches, eventually publishing her first YA fantasy series, The Sunken City. She now lives in Chicago with her Swedish fiancé and miniature Pomeranian. Guy's Girl is her adult debut and will be available on October 12, 2023. Emma also recently sold a YA trilogy that she describes as The Vampire Diaries meets Nordic Mythology, so you can be on the lookout for that too. Follow Emma on Emma Noyes Maybe on both TikTok and Instagram. She wanted me to be sure to let you know that she does a lot of Vampire Diaries parodies there, making her that much more perfect as a guest for this vampire-centric episode. Instagram is my home base for lots of fun behind the scenes and podcast news, so if you like what you hear today, be sure you're following me there. Instagram is a fantastic place to spread the word as well. If you feel so inspired, please take a screenshot of this episode now and post it to your Instagram story. Don't forget to tag me at SSRPod so I can see it and share. You can also find SSR on Twitter at SSRPod and on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. Did you know that SSR is an independent podcast? This means that I operate as a one-woman show, managing everything from scheduling guest interviews and researching for recordings to editing episodes and handling all things marketing. If this sounds like a lot of work, it's because it is, and I do it without the financial support of a larger organization. SSR's Patreon supporters have played a huge role in making all of this possible, but I am always seeking more podcast fans who want to join that community and help me keep the show going strong. For less than the cost of a nice cup of coffee, you can show your support for the podcast and get lots of fun rewards in return, including newsletters, bonus episodes, and more. Learn more and jump into our community and exclusive book club at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. 
Next week, the Patreon Book Club begins its month-long discussion of our October pick, The Once and Future Witches. Don't miss it. Calling all audiobook fans. You can use code SSRPODCAST on Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O.fm, to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Libro.fm is the only place where I buy audiobooks because it supports indie booksellers instead of giant corporations. We all rely on Amazon for lots of things, but Libro.fm offers us a chance to direct our dollars elsewhere. The audiobooks you buy there will sound and cost the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. Give it a try and let me know what you listen to and love. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Emma. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I need to take like a big deep breath before we get into this one because I don't know about you, but coming back to New Moon. Oh my God. (laughs) And I don't really know what I was expecting because we did do an episode about Twilight a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. I can share more background on that with you if you'd like, because it was, it's sort of complicated for me, honestly. Like I sort of want to go back and redo the Twilight episode because it was very early on and the person who guested was sort of like not willing to go into some of the territory that I wanted to talk about. Like I wanted to talk about like the sex of it all and she didn't want to. (laughs) I was like, but what about how Edward like doesn't want to have sex with her? And she's like, anyway, what about like being a new kid? You will not have that problem with me. Great. I'm really excited. So we have, we have, uh, we have to make up for lost time. So I like had complicated feelings about reading Twilight the first time, but I, I think I'm even, it's even more complicated for me after New Moon. I don't know what I was expecting. This was not it. Tell me like your initial thoughts. I feel like I just totally brain dumped on you. Your turn. Okay. So to be totally honest with you, when I first found out we were doing New Moon, I was kind of like, no, <laughs> because of all the – I was such a tryhard when I was a kid. And of all the four books, Noon was always my least favorite because there's so much just like sadness and heaviness because he's gone for so long. And like I don't know if you've seen my Instagram or my TikTok or anything, but I'm very open about my own mental health. And so as someone who's struggled with periods like depression and anxiety, like that's that was definitely hard for me to read. But I, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed reading it this time around. And maybe it's just because I've done more work on my own mental health, but like I identified a little bit more with Bella and some of the scenes made me emotional this time around that had made me emotional, I think the first time I read it. Well, this is perfect because I enjoyed it much less than I expected to. I was not a tryhard. I read all the books when I was, I guess probably like late high school, early college. New Moon came out in 2006. I would have been 16. But I think that of the three like original books, New Moon was my favorite. And this is where things get controversial. But I at the time identified as Team Jacob. 
Okay. I think I still do. Yeah, this is where, I mean, we just have to get into it. So I think that I really liked New Moon the most because that was where we got to meet Jacob and spend time with him. And I was much more interested in Jacob's story when I was a teenager than I was in Edward's. Yeah. So I really thought like, oh, you know, Twilight was weird for me. The episode is weird, but we're going to bounce back with New Moon. That was not exactly what happened. I sort of felt like I was snarking on the book the whole time I was reading it. Okay. What do you mean? Okay. So let me tell you a little bit about my process. We were chatting before I hit record about like how long I've been doing this and how I've been doing it forever. So as some listeners know, like, you know, I read the whole book. As I'm reading it, I'll highlight things that jump out to me. And then right before I record, I'll do some other research, like look up information about the author and the origin story of the novel. And then I'll look up like reviews and all that kind of stuff. I'll put that in a document. And then I will typically go back through all of the notes in the margins that I made in the book itself, all the highlights. And I'll add that to the document so that I have like a short list of quotes that really jumped out to me or just like brilliant thoughts that I think that I had while I was reading. (laughs) So I was working on that today. But as I was going back through my notes and all the things that I'd highlighted, I highlighted so many things and it got to the point where I was like, I think I could open almost any page of this book and be able to like have a conversation about a line or two that I was like, this is, this is a waste of time. Like I'm better served reading more reviews and like looking up other thing pieces about the series as a whole, like not just New Moon, because that is sort of what I missed out doing that first Twilight conversation. So in that way, I feel like I was a little snarky with the book. Like I actually posted a couple of Instagram stories that were pictures of like lines from the book that were like generally about Bella being whiny. Oh no, she's so, she's so whiny in this book. I, I'm totally with you there. And I usually like don't give listeners previews of like how I'm thinking about books because I, I like them to have to wait for the episodes. Yeah. But with New Moon, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is just, and I too have struggled with my mental health. And I have also like done a lot of work on it over the last couple of years. And I too was an angsty teen. Like I get all of that. (laughs) Maybe it's just, maybe it just caught me at a weird time. But I want to hear more about like your history as a twihard because that's important to this conversation. Tell me about that. Tell me why you like the series. Tell me your whole history with Stephanie Meyer and Twilight. Okay, before I do that, I just want to respond to what you said about Bella being whiny because I timed the reading of this book so that I would finish today before we started talking. So I just read the ending when she comes back from Italy and she wakes up and, you know, whatever. And she basically, the thing that, the thing that angered me the most about Bella in this entire book is when her dad comes in and is like, I don't want Edward like anywhere near you after what like, I just watched you go through a horrible depressive period. Like I was so worried about you. And she basically goes, get over it. Like wherever I go, he goes. And I was like, that is not a, not a fair response and be like cruel to your father. Like, of course he's worried. Right. I mean, I'm worried. I'm a, I, I, you are a fictional character and I'm reading your story and I am worried about you. And you are being a huge asshole to your dad. Being such a brat. Totally. And I know that she's 18 and technically an adult because, like, the whole book starts on her 18th birthday with, like, the paper cut that kicks everything else into high gear. And so there's this part of me, like, I'm pretty sure there are angry notes from me on that page that are, like, you shouldn't speak to your father like that. Like, you're a child. (laughs) And then I was, like, oh, no, she's, like, legally an adult. She could move out. But I'm, like, it's cruel. It's cruel. Like, he has been taking care of you for a long time. Like, he loves you. He's not some, like – 
loser uninvolved dad he he really like cares and she's just awful to him no i'm i'm so with you there that made me like she's definitely very like (laughs) self-absorbed well she and edward are the two most self-absorbed beings i think on the planet (laughs) which makes their relationship even more toxic and i have the receipts i have plenty of things highlighted if you just give me like you know i don't know five minutes to scroll through all seven thousand pages of this book I can pull out the quotes to prove that they are both extremely self-centered. Oh my God, that's that's hilarious. But okay, to answer your question about being a twihard, I never like called myself a twihard, but I will say that I remember so clearly, like I was a huge Harry Potter fan growing up, loved the Hunger Games. Can't remember, did the Hunger Games come before Twilight? I don't remember. I think shortly before, but it all does kind of like blend together. It, it does kind of blend together. And I remember going into, like super clearly, I remember going into the local bookstore in the town where I grew up called The Bookstall. And I was looking for something to read. And one of the booksellers came up and said, you know, what do you like to read? And I said, well, I like sci-fi fantasy. I had a, I have a bunch of older brothers. So I grew up reading a lot of fantasy, loving Lord of the Rings, loving Star Wars. And they said, you know what? There's this book that's really blowing up. It's called Twilight. I remember this so clearly and she put the book into my hand and I was like, I don't know, you know, maybe I'll like this. And then the the period between like, I don't know what it would have been like fifth and eighth grade. I just was obsessed, like obsessively reading all of the books. I think I read when Breaking Dawn came out. I think I read it four times. <laughs> You're like, I don't care if it's weird that this werewolf has imprinted on a baby. I'm going to keep reading it. I don't <laughs> care because I was not, I was not team Jacob at all. Like I, I liked Jacob. I thought he was a good friend, but I was all about, (laughs) I was all about Edward. The friend zone is the appropriate place for him. (laughs) (laughs) I was all team Edward. And I guess that's something that, that has kind of followed me throughout my life. Like I'm always on the vampire diaries. I'm team Damon. I'm always like, I want the sort of bad boy. And to me, if I were to quit the vampire diaries and Twilight, I would actually, I would have thought when I first started watching Vampire Diaries, I would have thought that Stefan was like a ripoff of Edward almost. But I feel like Stefan is like the, the kinder one and the, and that's much more Jacob. He's much more like, I could see this time around reading it, why so many people were team Jacob because he is like, he was just nicer and smilier and, and like helped Bella so much when she was down. Are you a Gilmore Girls person? Yes. Okay. So I was thinking about the Gilmore Girls parallels when I was reading and like thinking through the teams. Okay. And then I I found this article that I'll include in the show notes. It's on a website called CBR, which like, to be honest, I don't know what that is. So nobody be mad at me. It seemed fairly innocuous, but it's just called like Team Edward versus Team Jacob, which is the right choice in the Twilight debate. And it goes on about how like, it sort of seems like we as a collective have landed on the fact that Edward is the favorite, but Jacob has merit. And as a Team Jacob person, I could see all of the points that were being made. The author of this article talks about how, like, you know, Jacob seems more reasonable. They could live a human lifespan together. Bella doesn't have to, you know, like, fundamentally change her biology in order to be with him, which is really convenient. (laughs) And then they talk about how... This is a direct quote. Although Jacob and Bella seem like the intelligent choice, if they had ended up together, Bella might have felt bored after a while. Jacob seems like the kind of person who is completely content with where he is and who he is. 
Edward, because he is immortal, is constantly learning new things and experiencing everything he possibly can. So then I was like, okay, so Jacob is Dean. Yes. Totally. But I am not Team Dean. No, I'm not. I'm Team Jess. I'm Team Logan. Oh, no. Not for me. It's okay. He's not not really for anybody. (laughs) But I do – it's interesting because I feel like in a lot of ways – Edward is like a, maybe a mix of Jess and Logan mm. because, because one of the last lines of this article is Bella craves this type of fairy tale intensity, which Jacob honestly cannot provide for her. The idea that she can forever travel, learn, and live with Edward is a much more appealing idea than remaining in Forks forever with Jacob and his werewolf pack. Additionally, Edward has always spoken about Jacob with respect, while Jacob made a point of repeatedly belittling and speaking ill of Edward. So. Okay, so we're coming at this from different perspectives in different ways, and I think that's great. So you were you were firmly Team Edward always. Yes, always. Okay. Always. I get it. I mean, I feel like, as I said, we as a collective seem to have decided that Team Edward was the right choice for Bella, and it does seem to have worked out for her, I guess. She got what she wanted. She got what she wanted, obviously, and I do feel like by choosing a team, I don't want it to seem like I'm saying, like, Edward is the better person, you know? Like, I think objectively, Jacob probably is the better person. But I think that Edward is better for Bella because while I was reading New Moon, like, obviously they don't, her and Jacob don't even kiss. but They come really close, but they don't kiss. If we're talking about in terms of romance, like, there's no, at least on her part, there's no chemistry there. Like, she sees him as a little brother and she's, for the majority of the book, trying to be, like, Remind him, I don't see you that way. Right. And to your point about him sort of seeming like a little brother to her, there's a moment in the book where she like, she wishes that she either could have feelings for him or that he was her brother. Like, yes, (laughs) it's a very weird place to be in mentally. And I can't say that I've ever been there with another person where it's like, I wish that I could like (laughs) you romantically. And if I can't, then I just wish we were related so that I didn't have to lose you. That is like kind of weird. It's very weird. Yeah. She just wants to have a different level of like hold on him than just friendship. Yes. Like a like a claim, which is another weird thing about these books. It's all about like claiming or like owning someone. It's all about the patriarchy, really. <laughs> Greta Gerwig. I think this, this – I mean, you're not wrong. It's all about the patriarchy. It is a territory war between Jacob and Edward, between the werewolves and the vampires – and Bella is just like a prop. And I think that like I got frustrated very quickly with New Moon because she was so aware kind of that she was a prop. Like I feel like in Twilight she didn't really know. And in this book she's so aware that she is just like mm-hmm. kind of caught between these two worlds. And she seems like not just fine with it but kind of into it. Oh no, she's very into it. Yeah. Like at the end of the book – which is obviously in most stories when like the the resolution comes about her resolution is Edward belongs to me and I belong to Edward like that that that's it <laughs> yeah that's it we're done yeah okay i have so many things i want to ask you about i want to get into the mental health stuff because there's a lot of that in this book before we do i thought i would share a couple of sort of like grounding facts about this book just so that we can sort of like okay. remember where we are think about how this book came to be so Stephanie Meyer wrote New Moon before Twilight was published. And you as an author know how these cycles work. I imagine that she got her deal with the publishing house 
she knew that she was going to have the opportunity to write more books. And so while they were working their magic, getting Twilight out into the world, she went off into her writing cave, as my agent calls it, was just working on something (laughs) new. The interesting thing is, though, that she did not think that Twilight was going to be published. And she really wasn't that interested in having it be published. So she just was like writing it for herself. And she didn't have a lot of like anxiety about it. Once she got the contract for Twilight, and she knew that it was going to be out in the world, she realized that anything else that she wrote would also be out in the world. So she had like a different level of what she called stage fright in writing New Moon than she did with Twilight. She didn't necessarily know at the time that she wrote Twilight that it was going to be published for a specifically YA audience. And I think that's partially because like YA was still kind of like this weird murky category, like mm-hmm. in the early to mid aughts was when all of these series exploded. And so I think she initially kind of thought that it was going to just be written for adults or like anybody who wanted to read it. And when she was in the process of like first thinking about what she would write next, she was writing all these really extended epilogues about Belle and Edward, but they were about them as adults. So she had initially like skipped this senior year of high school that we get in New Moon and she had she went right to Breaking Dawn. But then when her publisher was like, no, you're actually writing this for teens, like we think teenagers will like this more, she had to fill in that gap. And she really like struggled to write this one. She has been quoted saying that like she never experienced this kind of heartbreak. So she couldn't really put herself in Bella's shoes. She was nervous about how teens would absorb, how heavy some of this emotional stuff is. And apparently she like did everything she could not to have Edward go away. Like she really wanted Edward to stay, but she couldn't see a way around it because this book really surrounds like what happens when the person you love leaves you. Right. And she really didn't want that to happen, but that's what the characters kind of told her she had to do. So yes. Yeah. I thought all of that was really interesting context. The other thing that I want to make sure I share before we get into it is that this book has not been without its fair share of criticism. You know, people have made comments about the pacing and about like the general melodrama, but more importantly than that, there's been a lot of conversation about the exploitation of indigenous folks in this book in particular. And I, of course, like want to make sure we we hold space for that and hold space for the fact that that's been really hurtful to people. This book really shines a light on Jacob Black's community and the reservation where he lives. And rightfully so, many indigenous people have been upset by the misrepresentation and the appropriation of history and culture that we see in this book. She basically has like written all of these like myths about a real community of people. Right. And people have also felt, again, I think rightfully so, that this book like really hypersexualizes indigenous men and stereotypes them as violent. And then again, like we see this in all of the books, but Stephanie Meyer's obsession with what she calls like alabaster white skin, when we put it up next to all of these other things that she's written about Jacob Black's community, it really reads... It reads in a way that I I can understand makes people uncomfortable. Totally. And she's been accused of racism by many communities. So I think it's important to share that with listeners that they know that we're aware of that. Is there anything else you want to jump in there with? I actually was wondering about that while I was reading because I haven't done the extent of research that you have. But I was thinking a lot about, I mean, obviously when I read this when I was like 10, 11, 12, I wasn't thinking much about representation or cultural appropriation. But now reading through it, I was like, is this, I was really wondering, like, how do indigenous people feel about this? And how do, are any of these myths real to, to like indigenous cultures? Or like, I, I just was very, and I, I didn't know any of the answers, but I was very just 
curious. It was kind of top of mind for me. Yeah, there's a whole website called Truth Versus Twilight that has sort of interesting been an effort to correct the record. And as far as I know, it's written by Indigenous people. So anybody who's interested in reading more can go there. But like you, when I was reading this as a teenager, as a white girl, I did not think about any of this stuff. And I, if anything, thought that it was cool that Indigenous people were being represented. I was like, oh, wow, like, look at me reading about a new community. But problems arise, of course, when we're talking about a real group of people and like assigning myths to their culture that don't exist. And also like, you know, there's this whole sort of, I would say like quiet storyline with Sam, who is one of Jacob's pack mates and his girlfriend, his fiance, Emily, who has this scarring on her face. And the story behind the scarring is that like one time Sam got like a little too mad and he like as a werewolf destroyed her face. And again, understandably, there's been a lot of frustration in the indigenous community that this like promotes this idea of domestic violence because Sam got pissed. Like, was he a werewolf? Yes. But there is this implication that like, even if he wasn't a werewolf, maybe he would have gone too far and hurt her. So I totally understand that. I feel like it was important for me to read that perspective because it wasn't something that I was aware of when I read it for the first time. And that's why I love having these conversations because this book really like takes place largely on the reservation. It does. Yeah. So that's, that's my like sort of level setting context moment before we chat about New Moon. I do think it makes sense to talk more about the mental health piece. As I mentioned, this book really starts with Bella's birthday, her 18th birthday. She gets a paper cut while opening a gift. Jasper Cullen, one of Edward's sort of adopted brothers, can't contain himself when he smells Bella's blood and goes after her. And this sends the Cullens into a full spiral and Edward leaves the scene and does his whole Edward thing where he's like I can't possibly put you in danger like I have to leave (laughs) and this is understandably really hard for Bella even as somebody who right now doesn't have a lot of patience for her like it's heartbreaking he just disappears so as somebody you know you mentioned that you share quite a bit about mental health I would love to like sort of just give you the floor to share a little bit about your thoughts on how that was portrayed in this book and how you were able to have more empathy for Bella this time around. Totally. Interestingly, so you see Bella's heartbreak, right? You see the breakup and you see her kind of realize that like, this is real, this is happening. And then Stephanie Meyer chooses to kind of like skip over, like, I think it's four or five months. I think it's even because you see it like they're the, oh, I actually just happened to open to it. Yeah. So it's. Oh, yeah. So I guess her birthday is in September, and then we just yeah. there's just pages that say October, November, December, January, and then it picks back up in I guess January or February. So yeah, like four or five months. That's yeah. like dead time. Like yeah, you don't really know what happened except that she was sad. Right, right. And I thought that was I mean honestly I understand why she did that. Like if Bella was really just kind of like a shell of a person, I understand that being difficult to write about or difficult as as an author to have like plot devices going on there. So just a little bit of background on me and my mental health, which is also super important to my writing. My first novel that's coming out is all about uh, anxiety and eating disorders. And the core of an eating disorder really is where you are trying to kind of feel nothing, like you are starving yourself or, I mean, binge eating or there's many, many kinds of eating disorders. It's 
sort of this numbness. And when we pick back up in January with Bella, that's where she is. She's at the like feeling nothing. And I really identified with that because when I, I was anorexic for a solid five, six years. And then during the pandemic transitioned into it, as I was trying to recover, transitioned into bulimia, which is super common, like more common than you would know for many people. And as I finally got into recovery and was really trying, had stopped urging, had, was trying to stop binging, something that happens is something that many people don't understand about eating disorder recovery is like refeeding is just one part. And the, the huge, like the bulk of the work happens afterward. It's the emotional work. It's the trying to like refeel and like the flood of emotions that comes back to you. And so one of the things that I actually found, I really I, I identified with Bella when she was feeling numb and the sort of desire to like not feel anything as opposed to feeling all of the the sadness that was hiding just underneath because that's totally what my eating disorder was doing. What I didn't identify with or what I found to be like pretty inaccurate was once Edward is back and once she, or actually even before that once she picks up her friendship with Jacob and like starts to become happy again it's kind of like she's just like oh okay now I'm like kind of happy and like there yeah there's a hole inside me but Jacob really fills it at least in my experience when you go through something where you shut your emotions off for that long and you have sort of pushed them down and and ignored them you can't just jump back into life like there are repercussions. You will find yourself getting upset at times and not understanding why, crying and not understanding why. You can't just really go from one extreme to the other and not have there be anything in between. And at that, I was like, I don't really, and I, and I know, and, and obviously you said that Stephanie Meyer has never been through a breakup like that. And, and maybe she's never had to go through a period in her life where she had to sort of numb herself out to, to not feel the things that were scaring her. It just wasn't accurate to me. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. I know that it's hard to talk about mental health, and I know you're really open about it on social media, but we certainly appreciate it as a listening community that you are so open and vulnerable. And I think there's a lot of what you said that I agree with. I think that this notion that like one person is going to fix everything and that you're like not just your happiness, but like your sense of self, your mental health, like all of those things are riding on one person. And I know he's a vampire, but like he's a person. <laughs> I, I think that, that that's what the author is trying to show us. And I think that maybe as people, as women in 2023, like that's just a really hard thing for us to reconcile. I mean, that's how I felt. Like, I, I do think that when I was younger reading this book, of course, there is this like romantic notion of, yes, this one person holds the key to all of my well-being and all of my happiness. And when he goes, I'm sad. When he comes back, I'm not sad anymore. Right. And that feels really beautiful. And it's easy and just to romanticize it, of course, it's a fairy tale. It's that's the fairy tale that he can provide. But I think with time that like I've just been on earth longer and also like the conversations that we are having about relationships about mental health like that no longer feels as easy or fun to buy into and so it's like okay so if the whole in order for me to buy this mm -hmm. like I've had I've had writing teachers say so many times like I can believe anything but you have to make me believe it so so sure like 
I don't like this very much, but is Stephanie Meyer making me believe that Edward is everything to Bella? Sure. Mm -hmm. But then there's this weird thing in my head that's like, I believe it because everything that you're showing me on the page is that Bella can't survive without him. Right. But in 2023, it's really hard for me to be like on board with that. And so then I'm like, where does that leave me as a reader? Totally. A hundred percent. And I feel exactly the same because I am and have always been a hopeless romantic. I love love stories. And I'm all for the sort of all-encompassing, you know, soul, you know, can't live without someone type of love story. I love that. But I completely agree that in this day and age, like, how do you reconcile having your own agency and taking care of yourself with the sort of idea of like the one person who you live and breathe for, right? Yeah. It's difficult. It is difficult. And and Bella has no sense of self. No. That's just like not part of the equation for her. And that's pretty explicit. (laughs) Like she says in dialogue, in narration, in all of it, like without him, I am nothing. Like over and over again. It's not just that she has low self-esteem and it's not just that she's insecure and she certainly is. Yeah. But she has no sense of self. And I I also want to circle back to what you were talking about as far as like your experience in eating disorder recovery Mm -hmm. because Bella does not explicitly have an eating disorder. But there is this really interesting conversation about her body and what kind of body it is. And I think it's worth thinking even about like the casting decisions that were made when they made the movie. Like Kristen Stewart is a really petite, thin, I would say, you know, sometimes I have worried about her seeing her on screen, especially when she was younger, like she looked frail in a lot of her early films. And I think it was an obvious choice that they made for her to like look a certain way. Paired with the author's emphasis on Bella's clumsiness, on like how her body is weak, like her clumsiness isn't goofy. It sort of reads as this girl's body like can't function in the world. Yes. And so while she isn't written as as managing and dealing with an eating disorder, she is written as somebody who like isn't in control of her body in a weird way and yes. like, needs other people to like manhandle her body really because we're only talking about men saving her all the time. Yes. Very damsel in distress. Totally. I wonder if you think that there's any parallels there. Like we're not talking about eating disorders explicitly, but like just in the conversation about her body, because much is made of her like physicality. That's super interesting. And actually something I hadn't, interestingly, something I hadn't even thought about, like I had noticed that in this, this time around rereading, I had noticed how it's not that she doesn't have a personality. It's more that she doesn't have like interests. Like they don't give her any specific interests in like sports or she works at the the Newton store. And I remember when I first watched, I mean, I don't even know if I want to touch on the movies, but like I did not like the movies at all. They were horrible. I tried rewatching them recently and I literally couldn't get through the first one. They have, and I remember watching it for the first time and being like, God, like they really gave her no personality. They gave her like nothing to work with. And that was so not what she was like in the books. But this time reading background, I'm kind of like, well, it kind of is. (laughs) It is a little bit. Like, she definitely has more spunk in the books, you know, more like she yells when she's upset and she cries when she needs to cry. And in the movies, it's kind of just like the famous, you know, like bite her lower lip a little bit. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's her look. That's that's her look. But when I think about body image specifically, what I mostly think about is just the fact that this series came out during the peak time in our culture when it was either thin or nothing, you know? Like you were either stick thin or sorry, you had to like feel bad about yourself. And I really think we're only coming around to a healthier body image, the acceptance and and the rejoicing in women's curves and then different body shapes pretty recently. For most of my life, the only famous and beautiful women that were put up on pedestals for me to look at in magazines and in movies were incredibly thin. So a part of me thinks maybe that's just a result of the time. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I probably am reading into it because I am so like, t- I just, I again, I really appreciated your openness about your experience. And also because there were articles that I stumbled on while I was researching that talk about Bella's physicality and her like clumsiness with respect to this undercurrent of sex in the book Mm. and so maybe I was trying to like connect some dots there that don't quite connect no her clumsiness really is it is remarkable because it's not just that she like trips over things it's like if you leave Bella alone for more than an hour like she's gonna get hit by a bus (laughs) and I've never met someone that clumsy in my life. Right. That's like not, cl- I, I mean, I, you're right. I don't even think the clumsiness is the word to describe that because I've never met anybody that clumsy and I'm a little clumsy. So I feel like I can say that. Same. Totally. So there is something about just this like sense of having no control over your body. And that mm. leads into that bigger conversation about the patriarchy that I just think is like unavoidable in this series. The other thing that I wanted to make sure we brought up with respect to mental health was really the like, what I would say callous way that Stephanie Meyer deals with conversations about suicide and suicidal ideation, I lost track of how many times these characters just casually mention wanting to die, wanting to kill themselves, thinking about different ways to die. It was really shocking to me. Yeah. No, it the book, I think, within the first chapter or two chapters, one of the first things that Edward says, and so casually, is like, oh, when I thought that James in the first book was going to kill you, I was considering, like, what would be the best way to kill myself? You know, how would I go about it? And he's, so, he has, he's doing it with a smile on his face. It's, it is very – callous, I think, is exactly the right word. They almost relish in these conversations because both Bella and Edward are doing it. Like Bella and her depression. And I do think that this does ring true for a lot of people in the depths of her depression and and in the depths of like not knowing if this person that she loves is ever going to come back. She doesn't know what to live for. And that is something that a lot of people deal with. And that is so hard. But at the same time, we have Edward who is immortal. Like, he really can't die. And, like, that's one of the big things about being a vampire. It's really hard to kill a vampire. And yet he also is talking really casually about finding a way to take his own life or whatever, like, the version of that is for a vampire. So we have, like, different species almost talking about this experience and romanticizing it. And there are so many parallels between this book and Romeo and Juliet. And those parallels are drawn pretty explicitly. Oh, yeah. It's like a theme throughout the whole. Yeah, 
So yeah, it's like Bella is reading it in school and she really likes it. And like Bella would love Romeo and Juliet. And she's like really into the fact that in this situation, she of course is Juliet and Edward is Romeo and Jacob is Paris. Paris. Yes. I was like thinking yes. about all the other dudes in Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I was like, which? I was like Mercutio? Capula? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So Jacob is Paris and like it's the similar love triangle. And it did make me think about the fact that, like, Romeo and Juliet, like, might have, might have fucked all of us up in thinking that, like, this is, like, a romantic thing to, like, die or want to die for somebody that you love. Mm-hmm. And Bella really does become, like, obsessed with this idea all the way up until the end. Like, when they're very close to having some version of a happy ending, Bella and Edward are still kind of talking about, like, joking, like, LOL, like, if you hadn't come back, I would have wanted to die. Well, that's funny, because I felt the same. Like, yeah, it is very bizarre. And I think it is a reminder of, yes, we still have so far to go in our conversations about mental health, or at least the way that creators are talking about and presenting mental health on screen and on the page. But it is striking. It's it's striking to see just how far we have come, because totally, I do think that even books that deal with suicide and suicidal ideation in 2023 like that is a reality of storytelling sometimes I still think it's handled with more sensitivity in 2023 oh yeah a hundred percent oh my gosh no again like similar to when we were talking about the casting decision of casting Kristen Stewart who's you know a stick thin woman with absolutely no curves or or anything. And pretty much the whole cast was like that. I hate to say like a product of the times, but like it really just wasn't talked about as openly as it is now. And and you could get away with doing stuff like that, with just making casual remarks about suicide. Yeah. It's just painfully casual. It, sh- it shocked me. I don't remember that as much in the first book because of course in that book, like they're not separated. Right. So that really struck me and it was upsetting. So Bella is like figuring out what life is like without Edward. As you said, there are these months and months that go by where nothing is happening. We don't know what's happening off the page. And she starts to come back to life when she establishes this friendship with Jacob. But to be clear, the only reason that she even thinks to establish a friendship with Jacob in the first place is because she's chasing this high of like yes, doing again – the delusion, like, yeah, hearing his voice. Yeah, when she does literally life-threatening activities, she realizes <laughs> that she can hear Edward talking to her in her head. So, like, here we are right back at, like, the really dangerous conversations about, like, oh my God. <laughs> what makes life worth living and, like, what you should do if the person you love is gone. So she goes to Jacob because she's like, Jacob can help me fix a motorcycle. And if I can learn to ride a motorcycle, then I'll get to hear Edward talk to me all the time because – The closer I get to death, then Edward – the more I'll hear Edward. And, like, Edward is so obsessed with me, even though he left me, that, like, his only focus is making sure that nothing bad happens to me. Like, I'm the patriarchy. Like <laughs> – like every man even if they don't in theory love you anymore like only exists to make sure that you don't get hurt that our frail our frail delicate bodies are taken care of yeah I mean thank god all of these men are here to protect you (laughs) so she initially only like strikes up this friendship with Jacob because she's using him and like it does I guess one thing that I really enjoyed about that is like Bella is really honest with us as the reader about pretty much everything she does and as annoying as it is I think it's like pretty true to the way a lot of teenagers function like teenagers are fundamentally really self-centered 100% and 
they are the star of the show and it's really hard for them to like function in another way. And I'm sure that's how I was in some ways too. And Bella isn't pretending to have other motives. She's like, yeah, I mean, like this kind of sucks of me, but like I need to get on this motorcycle and Jacob's going to fix up my motorcycle for me and teach me how to ride it. But again, like all of this is set in motion by her desire to get so close to the brink of death that she just gets delusions of Edward talking to her. So she does get like this new normal with Jacob, but it's only thanks to Edward. I guess to give her a little credit as well she is also honest with Jacob like she says they have that moment I think it's at the movie theater where he's like you know how I feel about you and she says I don't feel the same way but I I really care about you and like is that okay and he says yeah I'll wait around for you for however long it takes (laughs) yeah and I that's true they do talk about that a couple of times like she never I don't think she ever lies to him no I don't think she does I don't hate Bella by any means. I do find her irritating in many moments, but there were also moments where I related to her. Yeah, maybe I'm just like too far from it now, but I I agree. And like to her credit, being honest in those moments is very, very difficult. Like I remember being a teenager and maybe not being on the same page with somebody about my feelings for them and definitely fudging the truth just because I wanted to make them feel better and because I didn't want to be in an uncomfortable situation. And Bella could have done that. And she is like very quick to just tell the truth. And I feel like she's also prepared to take the consequences. Like when she's having those conversations with Jacob, she's like, yeah, like this might change things. Yeah. And she's just lucky that everybody, again, is so obsessed with her that like they don't care. (laughs) Like has anybody ever been the object of so many (laughs) obsessions? (laughs) That's another parallel to the – have you seen The Vampire Diaries? I've read it, but I haven't seen it. Okay. Elena is exactly the same way. Like literally it's just like Elena, Elena, Elena. And and in Twilight it's Bella, Bella, Bella. Like you are so hot. You are (laughs) – and I'm not trying to be an asshole, but I, like you said, she doesn't have much of a personality. So I'm trying to think of like what else it is that like draws all of these men into her orbit. Because her blood smells so You're right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. He just can't help himself. He cannot help himself. <laughs> um, and then like over the course of their friendship, like all the ups and downs of their relationship, Jacob becomes a werewolf. I was trying to think of a more elegant way to say that and I just couldn't. Um, he gets swept up into this like pack of werewolves on the reservation and I did like sort of the tongue-in-cheek moments where Bella was like how weird is it that I stumbled into this town with all of these mythical creatures yeah 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 (laughs) I loved that because I do remember as a teenager being like you know the line in this book between reality and fantasy it felt so different to me than anything else that I had read before because I grew up reading I grew up reading a lot of fantasy And it felt so strange to me reading this book that like, oh, this is a perfectly normal town in a perfectly normal world. Like nothing weird is happening in Jacksonville. It's only in Forks. Only in – you have to go to Washington State if you want to see anything supernatural. (laughs) Right. Or Italy apparently. Um, (laughs) Or Italy. Italy. So I liked those moments that she's like, oh my gosh, like why can I not get away from all of these kind of weird things that I didn't know were real? (laughs) She finds out that werewolves and vampires are like sworn enemies. And so now she's stuck between the two. But that seems to be okay because Edward is still gone until. Until. Until he's not. Until Alice thinks that Bella is trying to kill herself by cliff diving. Mm -hmm. Because Alice can read her thoughts 
And so they they rushed to Bella's rescue. And then like this whole... Can I pause to say I grew up, I was a platform diver oh, growing okay. up. I was a gymnast and a platform diver. And going off of 10 meter, which is only 30 feet, was really scary. And like that was a very long fall. And most pools had like bubblers in it to help like that it sort of helps with the um, impact of hitting the water. And in this book, I'm pretty sure they say that the hot, the jump that she does is 100 feet. It's crazy. And as she just does it as someone who's never jumped off of anything before. And, and this is a fantasy book about werewolves and vampires. And that was one moment where I was like, this is completely unrealistic. <laughs> like, I couldn't suspend my disbelief. Emma, she really just needed to feel something. <laughs> <laughs> She really just needed to hear Edward's voice. Sometimes you just really need to feel something. And when I need to feel something, (laughs) I will occasionally just like pop into the pool. (laughs) But she jumps off a cliff. Um, And that inspires Alice to come to her rescue and the Cullens like all reassemble. Long story short, they end up in Italy like trying to bargain with this like monarch family of vampires who Mm -hmm. are out for Edward. They're trying to like recruit him or they're trying to kill him. Like it's very complicated. But in the end, the only deal that they're able to strike with Edward is that they'll let him go. They'll let everybody go as long as Bella becomes a vampire so that Mm -hmm. this whole mess that he's created can be cleaned up. Which, in the end, Bella got exactly what she wanted. hmm And it was also, unsurprisingly, because she is, quote, not like all the other girls because none of their powers work on her. Right. She's not like other girls. Like, she's not afraid of vampires <laughs> or werewolves. And they can't read her mind. They can't torture her with their, like, mind powers. She's not like other girls. I do think maybe someday I'll write a not like other girls book just because it seems like it, it would just make a lot of plot problems a lot easier to solve. <laughs> like, oh, why is this person doing that? I don't know. Well, she's not like other girls, so it's fine. <laughs> right? Am I right? <laughs> That's hilarious. She's not like other girls. But now as we finish the book, the big drama is how long are we going to wait before we turn Bella into a vampire? Yes. Who is going to turn Bella into a vampire? Bella takes it upon herself to put all of this to a family vote with the Cullens, which seems very presumptuous because you are not a Cullen. Like, <laughs> I have been with my husband for, like, 15 years. And if he – Would you ever march up to his family and ask them to vote on an important decision? Hell no. And if he showed up at my family and was like, hey, guys, let's put something to a vote, I'd be like, who do you think you are? Get out of here. So the fact that she was like, I've been here five minutes. Everybody's obsessed with me. Can I become a vampire? Let's vote. I just, maybe it's, maybe my issue with Bella is that like, I just want to be her. Like I crave that confidence. But sometimes she's so lacking in confidence. And then sometimes she's so confident. Well, I think, you know, I think the real answer is that the Collins aren't like other vampires. Right. Their family isn't like other families. They're not like other vampires. They operate on their own set of rules. Yeah, and other vampires wouldn't understand. (laughs) This is so embarrassing, but I've been watching a lot of Wife Swap as my, like, pregnancy comfort show. Okay. Is that that reality? You're probably too young for it. It was on in – it was probably on around the same time that these books came out. And now all the old episodes are on Hulu. 
And it's like painfully formulaic. Every episode they pick these two extremely different families that are extreme in some way or another. And they switch the moms. Wait, I have seen clips from this before. It's wild. Yeah. And I'm like, what would happen? What if we wife swapped Esme Cullen with like one of the other vampire moms? Like they wouldn't know, like everything would fall apart. Esme, who also has no personality other than being like the nicest woman ever. Wait, hold on. She's beautiful too. (laughs) Lest we forget, she's also beautiful. I don't think you read the book. (laughs) Well, I could honestly talk about this book forever. (laughs) It really is like a rich ground for conversation. It's such a time capsule of 2006 when it was written. A hundred percent. It is a time capsule into my teenage soul. I do think it's sort of like a weird, it's a weird place to enter or re-enter the Twilight universe. So I appreciate you joining me on this one since we had already done the first book in the series. On the whole, like based on your experience rereading it and even our conversation, how do you think this book holds up to your memories of it? Or does it not? In some ways, I enjoyed it more than I expected. Like I was true, like when I tell you I was kind of dreading, I was putting off reading this. I was like, oh, this book was so depressing. Like I don't know if I want to read it. But I ended up enjoying it. And in other ways, it was kind of exactly what I expected. It was exactly the way a book written in 2006 was going to be. Yeah, I think that's very well said. It was also like maybe the longest book I've ever read. <laughs> it does go on. It goes on and on. And I was one of those people who, have you heard of the book Ducks Newburyport? No. Okay. It's like 1,500 pages. It is stream of consciousness. Yeah. There's not a single period in the book. Like it's just one run-on sentence. And a couple years ago, I was like, this would be a fun project. I'm going to read 10 pages a night. And I did, and I finished it in a year. I think that 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 was shorter. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, time is relative. And when you're reading New Moon, time does not pass very quickly. (laughs) No, I just, I did feel really sad. And I know, again, I've been snarky, but I do want to say that I appreciate that in 2006, we were seeing a girl be very open about her feelings. And Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Like we were seeing somebody process her emotions in real time. And I don't know that we were seeing enough of that then. And I do, of course, like have a lot of empathy for anybody going through what Bella was going through. I guess I just wish that there had been a little bit more nuance in the way that it was handled. Completely agree. But that's me talking from 2023. I had the best time talking about it with you. So I'm so glad we picked it. (laughs) Me too. Other than New Moon, what have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our listeners? Oh my gosh. Okay. So, well, the hot thing on TikTok and Instagram right now is Fourth Wing. So I just started that. My husband just read it. I was actually going to ask you about that, knowing that really? you're a fantasy person. Yeah. Yes. I just started that. I had to put it aside. Well, okay. So I'm engaged and my fiance often gives me books for presents for obvious reasons. And I've noticed that if I start another book instead of the one that he gave me, he gets like a little offended. Like he would never say mm. – <laughs> But he's a little bit like, oh, why isn't she reading the one that I gave her? <laughs> I, I started, he gave me um, Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson. And I started that one. My brothers are huge Brandon Sanderson fans. I have never really been into his stuff, but I'm actually enjoying this one. It's interesting. Apparently, it's very different from his other books. The last book that I read that I really loved was... Oh, uh, This Is How You Lose the Time War. Have you heard of that one? Mm, I have heard of it, but I haven't read it. 
So it's a novella, not a full book. The characters are named Red and Blue. It's a sapphic time travel romance is how they describe it. So two women who work for opposing sides of like basically an intergalactic war that's happening in the future, which sounds very uh, Star Wars-y, but it's actually incredibly well-written. It's almost like a literary sci-fi book, like incredibly well-written. It's a romance novel without the two ever kissing or having sex or anything like that and it, it made me cry it was a tearjerker oh. really good book and what you've read of fourth wing did you like it does it live up to the hype oh yeah I'm, well i'm only 50 pages in but i was hooked from like page four okay and i'm the kind of person who will not if i start a book and i'm not interested i i will put it down i don't make myself suffer through books i don't like okay well that's good to know i actually i'm thinking about like i am putting together mentally this like list of books to read like when i'm up in the middle of the night come january february and i feel like some of these like fantasy books could be perfect for that just because it's like getting me back and it's escapist totally escapist so i have had that list and so i will take your recommendation into consideration and i will link those recommendations in the show notes for listeners who want to go check them out we also, of course, want to take a moment to talk about your book, Emma, Guy's Girl, which comes out next yes. month. And <laughs> tell us all about it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So when you described – funny enough, when you described Stephanie Meyer's process of writing Twilight, where she was like, I didn't think this book would ever see the light of day, that's kind of what Guy's Girl was for me. So I had been in eating disorder treatment for about a year. And then I went through a breakup, and it was like a devastating – couldn't get out of bed for, you know, a couple days type breakup. And I ended up relapsing and starting to purge again. And it was a really difficult time in my life. Um, I was living alone. There was really no one to keep me accountable. I was still attending outpatient. And I was being super honest with my therapist and my nutritionist about what was happening. But it was just a very difficult time for me emotionally. And the way I dealt with it, as is the way I deal with so many other things in my life, is I started to write. And I just wrote how I was feeling both in terms of what it was like to relapse back into my eating disorder and then the process of trying to get well again, you know, getting on my meal plan and, and just all of the emotions that are behind that. And also all the things that I had kind of learned along the way because I've been in recovery for so long already. And I ended up writing what it was like to go through a really devastating breakup, like the heartbreak behind that. And without even really realizing it, all of a sudden I had a book and I realized very quickly that I wanted it to be a romance with, well, I don't want to spoil the ending, but I wanted it to be a romance because I, I wanted it to, not only did I want to put out a protagonist who suffers from, the book focuses more on bulimia, I would say, because at least in my opinion, bulimia is way more res- misrepresented in media than anorexia is. And anorexia is sort of I hate to say this, but anorexia can is almost like put on a pedestal in our society because it's like you eat healthy or you don't eat anything at all. You go for runs, you whatever, when really you, what you're doing is you're harming your body over and over again. It's portrayed as, and I have never, I have not had to be in recovery, but I have dealt with disordered eating my whole life as well. And um, I would say in my experience, it feels to me that the conversations about anorexia, like it's it's portrayed as like almost the more like ladylike option to yes. bulimia. Whereas there's, there's nothing no of like positive about throwing yeah. up no. yeah, or binge eating or it's there's so much shame surrounding it. It was so much easier for me to confess to my mother that I was starving myself than that I was throwing up. Like it, it took me months before I was able to tell anyone like even my closest friends or there's just so much 
shame and so much self-loathing. And really the only resources I could find online to help reflect my experience back to me were clinical articles. I was like, I've never seen a movie or read a book that really treats bulimia with like the tenderness and the nuance that it deserves. And so what I ended up doing is kind of writing the book that I wish that I would have had in my hands when I was going through recovery, a book where I speak very honestly, not only about the process of falling into an eating disorder and then into recovery, but also like the thought processes behind it. Because one of the big things I really want to do is show people that eating disorders are not about being skinny. It's about emotional regulation. It's about dealing with trauma. It's, you know, so many other things. And I wanted it to be a romance, not only because I love romance novels, but also because there were so many times when I was deep in my, in my eating disorder where I thought, I actually, this is, sorry if I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> my sister gave birth to her first son um, when I was in the middle of recovery. She's six years older than me. And she wanted me to be there with her when she was giving birth. We're super close. She ended up not wanting me in the room at the last minute. So my mom and I were both sitting in like the waiting room at like four in the morning, just like waiting for news. And then her son was born and I walked into the room and I saw her and her husband, who I adore, he's awesome. And the baby, Blues is his name, on her chest. Great name. Yeah, great name. And was on her chest. And she looked so tired and so beautiful and so happy. And I just burst into tears, not only because it was I had never seen something like that before and it was so beautiful, but also because the one thing cycling through my head was, I will never have this. I will never be able to love and be loved the way that she is right now. And I'll never have this family. And and you truly believe that when you're deep in an eating disorder, like you truly believe you can't sustain a relationship. And so part of the reason I wanted to be a romance was to show that you can have a happily ever after and you you can find someone who understands. And, and it's so amazing when you do. Like my fiance now, I he's my best friend and yeah, that was maybe a little more than you asked for, but I, I could just talk about it forever. <laughs> I'm so glad you shared that. And I'm so excited for you <laughs> about the fact that it's about to be out in the world. It sounds like it is like your true heart on the page. And I'm sure it meant it a is. lot to be able to put it out there. Listeners, clearly this is a book that comes from a place of a lot of passion and heart. So go pre-order. Pre-orders are extremely important. And if you're listening to this after the book is out on October 24th, make sure you go grab a copy. Emma, it has been such a joy chatting with you. Again, congratulations on Guys Girl. And I hope we get to connect again. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.